My mother-in-law lived well into her 90s, and she did it with a lot of class. After a long career, in retirement she set up a charitable organization, was active in her church, and helped newcomers from Armenia, her family's country of origin, acclimate to American culture. But when I was younger, what struck me most about her was how well she took care of herself, and how she was so not shy about it. Coming as I did from a family of repressed, Protestant ethic Midwesterners, my mother-in-law's weekly massages and regular facials struck me as a little peculiar, self-indulgent, perhaps. I couldn't have been more wrong, but it took me years to see that. Hi there, and welcome to Here's a Thought, the blogcast for people who overthink. I'm your host, Jan M. Flynn, a writer for whom overthinking is second nature, somewhere between an art form and a bad habit. If you're an overthinker yourself, I understand. Sometimes your brain is kind of like a party that's gone on too long, a little too loud, a little too crowded. So once a week, I offer you a brief break from the voices in your head by listening to the ones in mine. This week, maybe because it's the week after Mother's Day, I'm thinking, okay, I'm overthinking the topic of self-care. It gets a lot of buzz these days, and it's part of the whole hoopla around the wellness industry. It takes a culture as weird as ours to turn wellness into an industry in the first place, but whatever. For some of us who grew up with that Protestant nose-to-the-grindstone ethic, self-care is kind of a tricky concept. In my family's mythos, and maybe yours too, selfishness was as close as it gets to a cardinal sin— Selfish people are mean, stingy, and don't want anybody else to have anything nice. Good people are unselfish and nice. And nice means being liked. It also means putting everyone else's feelings first. When it came to my mother-in-law, this idea caused me a great deal of confusion, because she was also one of the kindest and most generous women I ever knew. We all start out as selfish, it is true that very young children, however adorable, are self-centered tiny primitives. They must be taught to share their toys instead of bashing other toddlers over the head with them. But, as parents struggle to mold their little cave people into well-adjusted citizens, an important distinction tends to get lost, especially when those little cave people are female. But boys, too, get the message, good people put other people's needs first. Kids don't grow up on stories about people who became heroes by taking good care of themselves. No kid wants to be the one on the playground that the other kids call spoiled. That helps us to not grow up as sociopaths, but there's a downside. Once we're adults, much of our energy goes into shouldering the load that adulting requires. Care for youth is in the rearview mirror so we see ourselves in terms of the roles we fulfill. Employee or boss, partner, parent, provider, nurturer, community member, and on and on. It doesn't leave a lot of space for self-care or even self-maintenance. Any time we get for ourselves in those years is hard won. We chisel out a morning here or there for golf or pickleball or yoga class. We hire a sitter so we can have an evening out, assuming we can afford it, and the sitter doesn't have anything better to do. Meanwhile, we get used to soldiering on. Whether we feel like it or not, we get up, get the kids off to school, go to work, run errands afterward, get through dinner and homework— and those emails we said we weren't going to reply to after hours, but we all know how that goes. Then, maybe we scrape out an hour of TV or something before we fall into bed, later than we should, and get up the next morning and do it all over again. 
After decades of this, gutting it out becomes second nature. We've spent so long nurturing our kids and or our careers that tending to our own well-being feels a little weird. I mean, sure, we hit the gym when we can, and we try not to eat garbage because otherwise we won't be able to do all the things that other people count on us to do. And yes, we hear all about how important self-care is, but it sounds kind of woo. And who's got time for a meditation retreat? There's a new product line to launch, and Junior has the state track meet this weekend. And suddenly, all that changes. Even if it's gradual, the kids leave home one by one, the spouse retires and finally talks you into it too, your parents go to their great reward. The transition feels sudden. For years, other people have needed something from you every minute of the day. Now, if you're lucky enough to retire, nobody seems to need much from you at all. At last, you have time to do all those things you always said you would. Play the instrument, mold the clay, write the book, learn the language, travel the world, save the world, or at least some corner of it. But now, now that you have stretches of unstructured time in front of you, even as you're becoming acutely aware that time is a limited commodity, taking that time for yourself feels weird. It feels selfish. And self-care? That sounds a lot like navel-gazing, or like marking time in pedicures and facials until you're called to that endless spa day in the sky. Meanwhile, those ancient messages play in your head. Nobody likes a spoiled brat. Old spoiled brats are even less appealing. They're cranky and demanding and impossible to please. Which was another confusing thing about my mother-in-law. She wasn't cranky or demanding. She merely asked for what she wanted, directly and without apology. And she loved being taken care of. One of my fondest memories of her is of bringing her a cup of coffee to enjoy in bed when she'd come to visit us. The pleasure she took in that small gesture made my whole morning... She understood that knowing how to receive is just as important as knowing how to give. What those of us who, like me, struggle with the notion of self-care need is a different way to think about it. We need to rewrite our old scripts. Because as we age, self-care is not self-indulgence. It's an obligation. Old patterns don't replace themselves automatically, so here are five points to help you and me get started on the path to taking care of numero uno. Number one, self-care doesn't equate to self-pampering. Not that there's anything at all wrong with bubble baths or massages, and those can certainly be part of treating yourself nicely. But genuine self-care addresses all aspects of your well-being, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, and financial. It can mean getting enough sleep and setting aside daily time for exercise, it can mean making sure you spend enough time with people whose company you enjoy. It can mean guarding your money so you don't outlive it, if at all possible. Number two, self-care does not have to break the bank. And it shouldn't, if it's really going to do you good. The term may call forth images of fancy spa treatments or retreats in Bali, which, don't get me wrong, if you can swing them, those are great. But self-care is a principle and a practice— it can and should be available to anyone. Maybe you can't spend a week at an ashram, and maybe you wouldn't want to, but you can take a walk outside. You can keep a gratitude journal. You can take ten minutes and brew yourself a perfect cup of tea and then devote yourself to simply sitting 
and enjoying it. And three, self-care is as much about what you don't do as much as what you do. If you've been the one everybody recruits to do all the things because you can't say no, now is the time to learn how to set boundaries. Loving your grandchildren doesn't mean you have to be available to babysit them at the drop of a hat for free. If you detect a sour feeling in your stomach when you watch TV news, titrate your dosage and turn off the shouting heads. The point is to choose, consciously, what you wish to spend your most priceless and limited resources on, your time and your energy. Number four, self-care promotes health, and not just yours. If you're really struggling with devoting time and attention to yourself, remember the adage, you can't pour from an empty cup. There will be times when you are indeed called upon to be selfless. Circumstances may thrust you into a caregiving role, or someone close to you may go through a life-altering challenge and need your undivided attention. The better care you take of yourself, the better you can take care of others. And if you really mean it when you say you don't want to be a burden to your kids, self-care is crucial. And number five, self-care means being honest with others and with yourself. Yes, you want to fulfill your obligations to people who are important in your life and to those you will leave behind even if you never meet them. But at the end of the day, or the road, or your days on earth, if your fulfillment isn't important, why is anybody else's? Or everybody else's, for that matter. If you didn't do any of the stuff on your bucket list when you had the chance, that's not on anyone else. When you look at it that way, what's really selfish is to ignore self-care. Investing in meeting your own needs and desires doesn't make you a spoiled old brat. On the contrary, it makes you responsible. It means you're genuinely more available to others. And it makes you much more fun to be around. This was a truth that my mother-in-law had straight, and I am very grateful to have finally absorbed it. I'll still need to quash my flinty Midwestern resistance from time to time, but my intention from here on out is to practice radical self-care. Because now that I've reached this point in life, the quality of my experience of whatever time I have left is largely up to me. I say it's my responsibility as well as my privilege to make the most of it. On that note, I offer you one of my very favorite quotes from poet Mary Oliver. Tell me, what do you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Thanks for listening to this episode of Here's a Thought with Jan M. Flynn. As a podcast listener, you have a lot of influence. If you like this show, please share it with your family and friends. And if you've got an idea for a topic you'd like me to overthink on an upcoming episode, by all means, let me know. You'll find easy ways to connect with me in the episode notes. So until next time... I hope you take wonderful care of your one wild and precious self, and may all your thoughts be good ones. <laughs>